Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 414 with Brittany Stewart of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Godin, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Today, we're speaking with the co-founder of Burst Oral Care, one of the fastest growing e-commerce brands in the US and is poised to become the next billion dollar brand. We're going to discover how Burst is shaking up an entire industry and how they've scaled so incredibly fast. This is an incredible conversation. Please welcome to the podcast, Brittany Stewart. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Uh, the first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, how did I find myself? I mean, the acute answer is uh, my dear friend who is a venture capitalist and is a surfer, surfed every day with uh Hamish, who is my business partner and introduced us and thought we would be like the business partner of the century. And I think maybe he was right. Yeah. So can you tell me, uh, when did you start Burst Oral? Uh, and like how, how, how long ago was that? So we launched in August of 2017 and we launched at a dental convention in Chicago, Illinois. And, uh, was this your first business? No. So I had been, uh, you know, kind of like a founding member partner of uh, a business preceding this. So we, we had created uh, finditparts.com, which was the largest distributor of heavy duty track tractor trailer parts online. So built that up from about 2012 to 2017, uh, and really grew that business nicely. So 
you know, the kind of the arc of my career has been web-based businesses, uh, doing commerce. So selling things to people online and, and that's pretty much whether I started as a consultant and then I moved on to, to, you know, kind of do my first real go at a startup and then burst is, is sort of the next step in that iteration for me, but really understanding, uh, specific industry niches, selling things online and why people would do that is, I guess, would be the thread of, of, of me. Yeah, I see. And uh, what was the inspiration for Burst Oral Care? Like, um, how, how did you come to this idea? You know, it's it's really interesting. So Hamish, who's my partner, um, you know, has only ever worked in oral care his whole life, right? Since he was like 19 years old. And we, you know, he kept seeing the opportunities in the marketplace, like, you know, why hasn't that changed for so long? And, you know, it seems like people might want this, this or this. So when we were introduced, we really started to talk about two things, which was what makes a great product and, you know, why have people forgotten about the professionals, what, like the dental professionals who take care of you all the time? It used to be kind of like back in the day. It was like, you know, nine out of 10 dentists recommend X, Y, or Z. And, and so what really kind of made us know that we had something special was not only this product that we had put through R&D that you know, we took this feedback from dentists and hygienists and they said, you know, I wish I had a softer bristle. I wish I had a bristle that could get under your gum line. And we realized that like, oh my gosh, we have this innovation engine and we also have our own marketing channel essentially. And we felt like this combination of something really amazing to sell people and a really unique way to sell it um, was, was the genesis of, of Burst that, that really carries forward through today. Yeah, I see. So um, can you talk me through, I guess, the, uh, how did you launch? Did you, did you raise capital? Was it, uh, did you, you know, was it, yeah, talk me through that and, and getting the first product. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like, if we go back to like the basement days of the business, right, we found two gentlemen to be our angel investors. They both had in their professional careers been very successful uh, investing in public equity. So one had worked at Capital Group and one had worked at Fidelity, which between the two of them, probably almost everybody's retirement plan on earth was managed by one of these. And they covered consumer products and retailers. And so we came to them and said, there's this idea. They were the first two to cut a check. And it wasn't like a significant size. You know, it's like a few hundred thousand dollars, which is not... In the realm of, I want to be really sort of self-aware here. Yes, that is a lot of money, but in the realm of like capital raising, that's not outrageous, right? And they gave us a little bit of capital um, and then said, see what you do with it. And so we used that capital and they brought in, we brought in a third angel, Michael, who's like also like our mentor. And we bought half of a booth at a dental convention in Chicago, Illinois. Like there's all we like, we were really budget conscious, right? Like we were even conscious about how like, these dental conventions charge you like $500 to receive your goods. So instead we sent them to like my mom and dad's house and made my dad drive us to the convention. You know, we were really capital conscious at the beginning to make sure that we didn't blow it. So, our you know, like having your dad drop you off at school, essentially. And we had an iOS app and our plan was we were going to sign up dental hygienists to become marketers and recommenders of our product. And so we had like this goal of like, maybe we could sign up five or 10 people and like, this would have been worth it. We sold out a product. 
we crashed our app. We, we for 12 hours couldn't get out of our booth. Like I had like sweat through my shirt. There were people like, you know, this idea that paying attention to a dental professional, um, was a good one. And it was like, in that moment, we knew it, like this dental hygienist convention in Chicago, Illinois. So they go and they get their continuing education credits and then come learn about dental companies. We were mobbed. Like I've never, I can't, I can't quite explain it, but it's like almost like maybe like what a rock star feels like when they're like trying to leave the concert. So we don't have a bathroom break, food break, nothing for 12 hours, sell out of our uh, products and signed up all of these dental hygienists who became our very sort of like foundational ambassadors and many of whom are still with us today. And we replicated that model um, when we started to go to every dental convention in America. And I think probably for three years, I went to every convention in America, like every state has one. And I was like, if there was two in the same place at the same time or different places at the same time, um, I wasn't able to go to that. But every weekend I was at a dental convention and that is how we built this grassroots community who has guided this company. Yeah, interesting. So fast forward to now, like you guys are one of the fastest uh, growing online e-commerce brands in the United States. I'd just love to get a little bit deeper on the idea and how you knew when you were onto something. Like how did you have, like when was the moment that you gained confidence to go, yep, we're onto something? So Hamish came to me with a prototype, right? That he had been working on. So he is very much like our, in, like our inventor kind of guy, right? And so like, we always say, Hamish had a product and he needed someone help to make it a business, right? And so we were kind of dancing around each other. So he brings me a prototype and I use it. I then go see my dentist who happens to be married to like one of my best college friends. And my dentist goes, did you go get your teeth cleaned before you came here? Because I'm always like in trouble for something like a bleeding gum in the back or like a little bit of plaque and like the back molars. Right. And he was like, it, it looks like you went and got your teeth cleaned before you came here. So I wouldn't yell at you. I was like, no, I'm using this new electric toothbrush that we're kind of prototyping to figure out if this is the right product for us. And like, is it really that good? And Sean was like, uh, yeah. Uh, your teeth have never looked this good. And I think that was like this moment that I knew, I really knew in my like soul that there was something special. And then we would give prototypes to people whose opinions we wanted. And they'd call us up and be like, I feel like I just left the dentist. Like I feel like my teeth feel really clean and I feel like excited to brush my teeth again. And I was getting this like feedback about a toothbrush that is usually reserved for like a Prada bag, right? Where people are like, oh my God, I got this. And so I think that was the moment I knew that there was something there to explore. So like that was proof point number one. And then proof point number two was going to this first dental show. For, you know, I don't know if you've ever spent time with dentists or hygienists. Like dentists aren't like kind of renowned for having like this bubbly, outgoing, uh, you know, excited personality. And these people were crowding us in like, we, whose job it is to take care of your mouth were telling us like, I want to be a part of this. This is brilliant. So I think the, the two, those two things paired together, you felt how special it was. And, and that's how I really knew. Yeah. And so you went out, raised some seed funding and like this prototype, how did you bring it to life? Can you talk me through kind of those next steps with that seed funding? You've you worked out your go-to market strategy to kind of seed fulfillment. 
But like, talk to me about the actual manufacturing side. Was most of that seed capital uh, for MOQ to for production or? Yeah. So I, I feel like our early capital was was allocated in two buckets, right? So there was the need to actually get some inventory. And I'll even be like crazy specific for you. Like the first PO I ever signed, I signed for 5,000 units. And I was like, oh, that's a lot. Um, we manufacture in China. Um, and so you have about 30 days of production or 45 days of production. You've got 30 days on the ocean, right? So you're talking like, you know, a, a, a 60 to 75 day cycle of like when you put that money down and what, how long you're waiting for the product. And when you're new and you're young, you don't have terms, right? Like, so we were like 50% down and 50% like before the goods left the factory. Now we have like much better terms as a, you know, a much bigger business. So the capital went to that manufacturing. And then the second thing is that we were building this proprietary technology to, um, Build your approach is unique. We have this, it's called direct recommending, right? It's not an MLM, it's not direct selling. It's every single person is sort of compensated for being someone who recommends and helps us create our products. So we developed a custom web platform and app on iOS and on Android. And then, um, and a little bit of marketing materials like, you know, our t shirts and our booth design and blah, blah, blah. So that, those three things probably tapped almost all of the seed capital. Yeah, wow. And so you went to your first, you would say, trade show, uh, sold, yep. sold out. What happened next? So then after that, we kind of like come back, like come back to our three investors and we say, okay, we got all this data. Like, let's take a look. Like, And so what we monitored was, so in our very first six months of business, like we never had an advertisement. We never had uh, a, a single bit of marketing other than going to our trade shows and then empowering our ambassadors. So what we started to track was, okay, well, how like economically effective is an ambassador and you know, how, what's the growth rate look like this way? And so what we really did was like, we learned from our customers and we learned from our ambassadors. So what is making someone buy? What is making someone not buy? What is making someone an effective ambassador? And so we really optimized our online shopping experience our ambassador onboarding experience. And so we probably, um, you know, that, that lasted, you know, that initial capital in this like sort of observation and optimized period, probably five or six months, if I'm remembering correctly, before we need, then needed to go for like a seed two round. Um, so, yeah. And like how quickly did it take to get traction? Like, because 2017 actually isn't isn't that long ago. You guys have had incredible success for how long you guys have been around. So I assume like traction came pretty fast or what did that timeline look like? I would say like I could I can pinpoint the business like very uh like uh almost like on a graph, right? So from August of 2017 to March 2018, you could have mapped my progress almost like a steady mountain climb, right? Like you, the numbers and the metrics were very predictable. Then in March of 2018, we thought, what if we advertised? What if we, what if we made an ad? What if we made a video of our ambassadors um, showing you how good this product works? And so we put this ad up on Facebook and that slow and steady growth suddenly looked like, like the facade at like Half Dome. Like we 
doubled the business one month and then we doubled it the next month and then we doubled it again. And our definition of doubling is doubling the number of people who are subscribed to the business. It was, um, it was extraordinary that people were responding to this profession. Like we sort of took this idea of the professionals are who you should listen to. And then we advertised the professionals on and like Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and people watched these videos and they were like, what? Yes. And, and then, then we, uh, you know, uh, hit this wall that you'll find, like, you know, you need money if you're not successful, you need more money <laughs> if you are successful. Uh, and so we started to see, oh my goodness, um, we need working capital, like going back to that 75 day lead time for product and I'm doubling and I'm doubling and I'm doubling all of a sudden I'm starting to sweat. And I realized like, I need like serious capital, uh, to support this growth because then all you need this customer service to match it. And you need an inventory supply that's matching this growth curve and then some. And, uh, and so then we had to go out and do like a proper, like institutional capital round from there. Yep. Got you. And can you talk to me about the advertising side of things? Um, just because uh, it's changed a lot these past two to three yeah. years. <laughs> um, yes, sorry. Uh, I didn't mean to laugh. Yeah, yeah no, it's all good because I, I, I think uh, we, we both know those changes probably intimately well. Um, so obviously advertising was one thing that really allowed you to put gasoline on the fire to the business, but what other things – um, did you do uh, to to really scale out the business? Well, what was interesting is that these these things were working in tandem, right? So you continue to grow this base of uh, advocates and ambassadors who are recommending your product, and so they're acquiring each of them a number of customers per month, and then I'm acquiring more ambassadors every month by going to these shows. So you know, for example, in March of 2018, I went to six dental conventions, which are trade shows. And each of these, I signed up anywhere between 100 and 400 dental hygienists and dentists to be our ambassadors, right? And and the crew of people there. So you have this, your your proprietary acquisition channel continues to grow in size and then and in an exponential vector because, you know, if each one of these is acquiring 10 customers a month and then you have 200 of them, 400, you, you know, you get the, you get the order of magnitude. So this is growing alongside the advertising side of things. Um, and then you, the third bucket is you have customers telling other people about it because they're fanatical. The, the cheapest form of marketing you have is customers telling other people about it because they love it so much. And that we tracked a lot of business to that too. Yeah. And can you talk to me around the infrastructure to maintain that level of scale? Uh, and and some of the things that you know anyone watching this might be thinking, what are the things that I need to be thinking about if I've got a business that's just going through a meteoric growth rise? I think it always goes back to your customer. That is your ultimate source of truth, right? So when you think about the most important part of your infrastructure, the answer should be what best serves my customer. Especially if you've got a subscription-based business like I do, where you want to keep that customer. So we invested in an infrastructure that ensured that the customer was going to be serviced well. So in the early days, uh, and actually still to this day, customer service outnumbers any other type of employee that we have. You, if you've got a question for us, we have an answer for you in a timely, kind, fun, professional fashion, right? That sticks with people. 
Um, we made sure that your order to deliver time was very tight. Uh, and without, and I won't get into specific names because that would be like discouraging, but like we had a choice between carriers, right? Of who was going to deliver your package. And there was one carrier that was significantly cheaper than another. And we did not go with them because we felt that 14 days of delivery time is not a great customer experience. And so we're going to go with the more expensive delivery option to get you a better customer experience. And we, we consciously made that decision. So I think it was about delivering the product, delivering a customer experience. And then, you know, the other things that kind of then grow in the background when you're building a business like this are your technology team. How does that need to scale? You need like a real finance team state sales tax is real and you got to pay it. You got to make sure you're filing that. Like these are things that like you, a lot of people skimp on their, their finance team early on and very much to their detriment. I'm like a purist on this front. We brought in a CFO really early. He is phenomenal. And, uh, and, and, and then when it came time to raise big dollar venture capital, Diligence was not difficult because I didn't have messy books. Like we actually started auditing our books from 2018 on. So we had audited financials, which you don't hear like a lot from startups, but that's something that we did uh, was that we were, we knew how big we could be and we were going to build it right from the start. And we had the support from our board to do that. Like some things like decisions to do things like bring on a high dollar employee, like a CFO early on versus later on. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs, people just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. What were some gotchas? Like, what were some big hurdles of, uh, that that have happened on the journey thus far? I would say that in the early days, like we had maybe, let's say loosey goosey, but we felt we were maybe loosey goosey on our like our personnel protocols, our HR protocols, if you were, and like nothing inappropriate. But lack of clarity leads to lack of security for people. And like we didn't really think about like, okay, what's this person's career path and income trajectory? So it's not really a gotcha as much as a, um, a, a wisdom learned that you, I, we should have been more thoughtful about those things. Like this isn't like a swashbuckling band of people who are just getting it done. Like these are also people who are investing in their lives and their future. So I would say that, you know, bringing really thinking about people planning earlier on that would be a gotcha um when people told us that dealing with like retailers and um and the like is is a very different beast than running d2c i think we underestimated what they uh, we underestimated the wisdom that they were giving us 
and and I and I and I wouldn't do that again. The how much of your uh, I guess like uh, your your life and your like how much time you spend with legal like it just I think that would shock you too. Um, you know when you have advertisements to consumers like at a certain scale you start everything is you know you review it for advertising claims and and uh and just you know following like your p's and q's like the the regulatory environment for just being an entrepreneur is so much crazier than i think anyone would think you just feel like you do a lot of things that are administrative or regulatory to make sure you're crossing your t's dotting your i's um we haven't had any knock on wood horrific moments where i'm like oh oh no that's good <laughs> so uh, what about team? Talk to me around team. How do you approach hiring, uh, you know, at the level of scale that, you know, you guys have? Uh, people is so critical. How did you know kind of when to bring on uh, certain senior leaders, mid-level managers, like how, how that has played out in building your senior leadership team out, your exec team? Yeah, so I think the overarching belief at the company is quality of person is more important than quality of skill. That's a very important belief of ours. Like I will take somebody who is 75% of skill with 100% of heart, integrity, loyalty, and drive over 100% of skill and 75% of that. Like I, we've had great success investing in people's careers, promoting from within. So that is a that is like a foundational belief of our business that we'll take passion over experience and that's worked out really well for us. Then in terms of how do you plan for what roles you need? I think, you know, on the one side, you, you sort of, you make your plan and you work your plan. And then while you're working your plan, you realize where your plan was flawed. So you thought you needed this, but really you need this. And I'll give you a great example. Like we're going through uh, the biggest area of growth in our business right now is really on our uh, our marketing team, and what we're what we realized. I'm not saying this is a universal truth. This is a verse truth. What we realized is that the greatest creative people feel bogged down if they're burdened with being the greatest process people. So, what are we going to do to fix that? And the inclusion of creative project managers to help facilitate projects that don't take away from creative thought, but also I'm not running a preschool. Like we got to get stuff done. It's a for-profit business. Projects have deadlines, campaigns have to launch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you balance between these two things where it's like, this isn't an art project. This is a business project that is creative. And so we, we always say like we have this other phrase we use you can't make an apple and orange this great creative person is never going to be my spreadsheet person and that's fine so let's figure out how to make that work so that's what i mean is like you kind of make your plan you think this is how the team is going to work and then as you're working on it you realize okay here's what I, here's what i didn't take into account and now i need to modify this plan what advice would you give to founders in the early stages around finding product market fit and really knowing that it's there, did you? Would you say that was a challenge for you guys? Or um, we did a lot of market research before we had a product. So that's the advice. Um, 
if you think the research process is you have an idea and it's a great one and that's it, that's a terrible market research plan, in my opinion, um, because you're, you, that's your experience and that's your viewpoint. And I've never known anybody to kind of go out and do the, the work of gathering feedback who, yes, their original idea was great, but here's, here were the missing things that took it from good to great or excellent. And, and really talking to people and doing your research matters. So if you think you've got a great idea, um, you know, talk to people about it that you trust, get feedback, do some research on who does something same, similar, different. I think another great question to ask yourself is who's tried this before and failed, you know, and how have they failed? What, what didn't they get right? Because not very few things are like truly new under the sun. So there, 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 there probably has been some version of a, this idea in some way that may not have made it. And what, what didn't they get right? So I think we did it. I mean, Hamish and I spent six months just getting to know each other before we decided to be business partners. Like you will spend more time with your co-founder if you choose to have one than you will your spouse, your children, your family, your friends. It's a very, very personal relationship and you have to rely on each other and be a different kind of honest and strong. And so I think it's really important to do that. So we researched each other, we researched the products. And so we felt really confident. And like I told you, I then used the product, went to a dentist, didn't tell him I'd been using it. And he was like, where have you been? I'd love to shift gears and talk about influences. So you guys have worked with some of the biggest influences on the planet, like mm-hmm. Kim Kardashian, Kylie Jenner. Like what kind of impact does that make on, on a business? I think it varies. So I, I don't know that I could answer that generally, but I can answer it for my business. Um, so the first big influence I worked with was Khloe Kardashian. And she was tremendous for my brand. And I'm thankful to her and I'm thankful for the work that she did. And I will always be because I think that she was really authentic with my product. And, and what it did was this thing that this grassroots group of people was really fanatically behind and still is to this day. I think for them, it was like a validation moment, right? Like, listen, it's not just me. It's one of the most important business and beauty influencers in the world. She's a fan of this. And, um, and she can use anything. She uses this. And she's probably offered, you know, they know reasonably, she's probably offered tons of deals every single day. And she doesn't take every single one of them. So I would say that there was like this legitimizing factor for them that they really enjoyed. And then same thing on the consumers. It, 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 it got you on the radar in a way that you hadn't been before. And people ask me all the time, like, should I hire an influencer? And I always say, if it's authentic to what you're doing, like, is that influencer influencing the customer that you think you have? And if the answer isn't yes, then like, that's probably not a great investment. Um, we had so many brand tenants that really matched Chloe. And so she felt so right for us at that moment where like, you know, one of our brand tenants was like, just really being open and talking with people about what's going on with you. And like, that's like kind of what she's known for uh, being open to trying new beauty products, being loving the way that your things function, the way they look. So we just felt like there was so many great overlaps that it was right for us. And, it, and we had really great results. So 
I think that influencers are very sink or swim is I think the wisdom. Like, you know, I talk to people who are like, I made this huge investment and I got nothing out of it. And I hear that time and time again. So I would say really getting an ROI on it is possibly more the exception than the rule. But to get the ROI, do the work, figure out who your customer is and who influences that customer. I think that's the thing. I think the, 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 the maybe people just do the thing. It's like, that's a big name. And like, there are big names like, like what, like Cristiano Ronaldo is like the biggest Instagram influencer in the world. But like, I don't know that my customer is his follower. So that probably would be a good investment for me. I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe it could, but like, I'd have to do the work. Mm. And when it comes to kind of, you know, working with Kim or Kylie or Chloe, What's more important to you? Is it them doing a post and expecting a return or is it the content uh, that you get from that? Uh, and also, I guess, the association and, and elevating your brand. I'd say that's evolved over time, right? So in the Chloe post, which was really early for us, the ROI mattered because like, it's just financial for us. Um, and then by the time we got to Kim, which was this past Christmas, I think it was more about the brand, you know, than the ROI. And uh, we wanted, we thought like we had really arrived, right? Like we've been growing, growing, growing. And we had asked ourselves like, who, when you think of like, okay, you really, like you're, you're the one, you're, you're the brand. Kim felt like the right person to say like, that's, that's the case. That's the truth. So for, I'd say we had evolved and grown enough that we could afford to do something that wasn't pure ROI trackable. You can't really do that early on. Um, you got to achieve a certain amount of scale, you know, and at that point in time, I had been, I was on television, television advertising. We did the most beautiful. So we launched a lavender edition, a limited edition of the product. And we did this beautiful um, uh, animated flower ad uh scored to classical music and it was running on hulu uh so we were doing all of these other sort of integrated marketing things but that that matched you know it fit for the time yeah okay that's really cool so love to switch gears as well around other brands when it comes to like looking at other brands what's common mistakes you see people making in 2022 i think it's forgetting to to be authentic with your customer you know, I like, and I don't want to be just like, I, I won't name names, but when I see somebody making a false claim to a customer, that's a brand for today, not a forever brand. So if you tell somebody they're going to get results or experience a thing, and then that's not what they get, like, you know, like that famous TikTok thing right now, like what I bought versus what I got, like that that's funny in the moment, but also like that person's never buying from you again. So trust is nothing other than people will behave in a manner consistent with what you expect. Right. And, and a brand is, is built on that feeling. So if you don't get it right, you fix it or you apologize. Right. Cause like, you know, anyone can have accidentally a defective product happens, but if you're consistently not having that direct and honest dialogue with your customer, or you're telling them things that aren't true, I think you're a today brand, you're a now brand, you're not a forever brand. And I think that that's what people are getting wrong is that I think people are more conscientious about what they're using their dollars for, how that qual how good is that quality? Are, is this made of things that are good for me? 
what is it that you're doing for the environment? What are your stances on uh, issues plaguing this world? The customers are signaling that they kind of want, they don't need the answer they're looking for, but they do need the honest answer to that question. And so that's what I think I see brands doing wrong is they're, tra- they're chasing trend or claims and they're not chasing what makes a good product and a good customer experience. I'd love to talk about giving back. Uh, I know this is something that's really important to you. Uh, how do you maintain that balance versus giving back versus investing back in the business? Uh, yeah. I think giving is an investment in the business is the short answer. So I'll give you a great example. We are 90% plus of our customers are women, right? So back uh, a little back a ways ago, we had the opportunity to do a limit, a partnership and a charity uh, opportunity. And so we partnered with the call of duty endowment. The call of duty endowment is um, administratively funded by call of duty, the, the video game. And Call of Duty Endowment um, finds meaningful employment for people who've served in our armed forces. And they define meaningful employment as like a salary job that this person's going to be in five to 10 years from now. It's the beginning of a career. And this is very important uh, because these people do honorably like serve our country. It is a sacrifice. And there are no great programs for them when they come back to reintegrate them into society. And so it's, it's a phenomenal organization. And so we'd never marketed to men before. And all of a sudden I have this limited edition camo toothbrush that has the call of duty camo on it. And in exchange for the use of the camo, I donated a hundred thousand dollars to the call of duty endowment, which I think if I'm going to remember, I'm going to remember my math correctly, which equates about finding a thousand jobs for veterans who've served. And so what a great giving moment to something we all genuinely believed was a great cause and something good to do. But also we were on the radar of a different customer that had never heard of us before. This gamer, this young teenage male, or, you know, it was like, there's like two kind of archetypes, like your high teenagers and like your mid thirties. And they're all men, and a lot of them are single. Like we had never spoken to that audience before. And we sold out of that brush in a matter of days, like out of stock. Uh, and so this is an example. So when I think about giving, I think about giving that the whole I want the whole company to feel good about it. We have town halls about what are we gonna give to. And we make it part of our message, which is that we're the the care part of our brand, we're burst oral care, and we care about people. And and we try to find unique and cool ways to do that that still match our 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 imperative as a for profit company. So whether that's you know during October during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, running a special on our rose gold, and a certain percentage of those proceeds go to uh, stand up to cancer. Uh, we we just try and find a way to make it seem like it's it's part and parcel with what we do. Or for example, we did last uh, summer a partnership with Christian Siriano, who's like one of the most famous fashion designers on the planet. And he designed a a floss case for us that uh, celebrated pride. And then we donated to the Trevor Project. 
So these, it all feels like that makes sense to the customer, makes sense to our company, makes sense to our values. It's really amazing. Thank you for sharing. Um, we'll have to work towards wrapping up a couple of last questions and then we'll move to the rapid fire round. Um, okay. As your company has scaled, how have you been able to maintain a consistent, I guess, buy-in around the mission, vision, and values of Burst um, when you've gone through such rapid growth and really, you know, I guess making your team as you get bigger and bigger still advocates for the work that they're doing? It's a very hard question, but I think I would break it up into two parts. First of all, as the founders and the leaders, you have to be stalwart in your mission and you cannot, you have to, you have to be immovable. And, and that requires a lot of self-discipline. And I think we're really good at that self-discipline, like a daily financial result, a quarterly financial result, the article you read in the paper about supply chain and COVID, these cannot move you off of your mission, vision, and goals that, that like, you know, the top of Everest is still the top of Everest, right? So I think it's discipline. And then secondarily, going back to our thoughts about people, you, you, you define the culture and culture comes from the top. And so if you live and embody these mission and values, and then you make sure that that's how your managers are enabled to manage their teams and you're managing them that same way, it's functional and, uh, and rational. And, um, and, and that's, and that's how we've done it. You know, we are a very, most people who work for us say that this is the best job they've ever had in their whole life. And that's a conscious effort to decide that the people matter just as much as everything else. And that's core to our mission. Amazing. Um, so look, uh, conscious of your time, have to work towards wrapping up. Uh, yep. Last question before we move to rapid fire is, where do you see Burst in 10 years? Uh, there is a Burst product in every bathroom in America. Love it. All right, so we're gonna to move to the hot seat. Uh, got just a few questions for you, rapid fire. Um, okay. If, if you could go back to your first day in business and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why? Sleep while you can, because the busier you get, the less sleep you're gonna have. And, and, and also, uh, I'm sorry, I'm gonna give you a second one. And enjoy it, because this journey is the greatest journey of your life. When is work fulfilling? For me, it's every day, uh, but particularly when I hear the story of somebody who feels moved by being part of our ambassador program or, uh, you know, the health benefits that they've reaped from using our products. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Never lose a loan. What's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? I, I think maybe the worst piece of advice I've ever been given is that you know, someone who passed on investing in us told me yeah, I should think about doing something else and like they were wrong. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, if you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I'm going to go with, I think it's her, her name is uh, Madame Clicquot. So the founder of like Vouv, uh Champagne, she was like the first entrepreneur female in France. And I don't know, there's just something kind of like, cool and bougie about it all that I, I want to know like women like you you think you're groundbreaking now women back then to do something like that that's like how did you do that that's cool and last question what's something you've learned today that you'd love to share with us 
that not everybody who gives you advice knows what they're talking about. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brittany. Thank you. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.